Thank you for joining us today on the Annex Podcast, hosted and presented by the Building Christian Fellowship. At the building, we build our faith, hope, and love in Jesus by having a real, relevant relationship with Him. And what better way for us to get closer to God than to learn more about Him through His Word? We pray you enjoy this message. Apple, Google, I'm not judging y'all today. If you got an Android, that's fine. God still loves you, okay? But in all seriousness, we have the gospel ready and available for anyone to access it. So do that. If you go on YouTube, we're on YouTube as well. But the first message that Pastor Jenny had preached was talking about don't forget. Don't forget about what God has delivered you from. Because I think a lot of times when we forget about our testimony, we think that we're the ones that got ourselves through. When we're so focused on pulling ourselves up by our own bootstraps and being self-made and doing everything in our own strength, we forget about the strength that God lent us to get us through. So it's important for us not to forget. Now, in this next chapter, we're going to dig deep, and then I praise God for his words. Did anybody love God's word here this morning? We're going to start off in the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1. If you guys brought your physical Bibles, I encourage you guys to get a physical Bible. It doesn't get any notifications. Plus, football and basketball isn't playing right now, so, I mean, just be honest. No notifications, no distractions, just you and the Word. We're in Colossians chapter 1. When you get there, say, I'm there. If you're not there yet, hurry up. And if you don't have it, we have it up on the board. Sky Bible. Man, it was... Sky Bible, thinking about my dad. Happy belated birthday, dad, if you're watching. It was pastor's birthday yesterday. Happy birthday. It's a blessing to be able to see him make 54. If you know, if you know his testimony, it, it wasn't just the heart condition that could have took him out. God's grace has been on his life this whole time, amen? But Colossians chapter 1. We're going to start off in verse 19. It says, I'm in NLT. It says, for God in all his faith, in his, sorry, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Pay close attention. This includes you. It includes you who were once far away from God. So those of you that think that you're too far away, let's get that, eye of, that lie of the enemy out of here right now. Even if you committed some egregious sin before you got here this morning, you are not too far away for God's love to come and get you. You were his enemies. This is the truth. Separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence, and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Listen, here becomes the focus of today, okay? But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away. Look at your neighbor and say, don't drift away. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. 
The title of today's message, and obviously this is chapter two of the Gospel Center Life, but the title of today's message is Beware the Drift. Beware the Drift. JR, why is it important not to drift away? You see, in Paul's letter to the Colossians, he gives, he sets the record straight for a community that is smack dab between philosophy and rigid legalism. Two choices that seem to absolve if not at least alleviate the issue of our own morality and the experience we face when we come to the realization of how good God is and how messed up and sinful we really are. I thank God that his word is good for doctrine, conviction, correction, and instruction, that we can be complete and equipped for every good work because even now we face the same thing our forefathers did 1,900 and a half years ago where this reality in a gospel-centered life should it should produce a deeper and more fond love of our Savior. Because of our sinfulness, we tend to think that we can do things on our own. When it comes to the realization of this gap between our righteousness and his holiness, we somehow find a way to work to prove ourselves good enough. Or maybe perhaps just act like it doesn't even matter. There's two things that this book explains with these two phenomenons. It's pretending and performing is that either we pretend that we're good enough so we act like we don't need God's righteousness or we think that Jesus' righteousness that he's added to us is just a, a drop in the bucket. Like, I was good before I met God, so just having him is like me being good plus Jesus. No. That our righteousnesses can only be found in Jesus. That, the, that, that Romans chapter 3 talks about that there's no one righteous, no, not one. That there's none of us that can do good. There's just not enough charity. There's not enough people that you can tolerate. There's not enough things that you can accept to make yourself righteous. That our righteousness is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. Let's talk about pretending for a second. If we are not resting in Jesus' righteousness, this growing awareness of our sin becomes crushing and we compensate by pretending that we're better than we really are. This, this kind of manifests itself in four different ways. It's dishonesty. It's you saying... I'm not that bad. I couldn't be, not me. I've been in church my whole life. I couldn't be that bad. Comparison. Well, I'm not as bad as those people. I'm not as bad as those people over there dealing with those sins. At least I can keep my sin tucked and neat and looking good so I appear to be righteous, right? Excuse making. I'm not really that way. You know, it's, 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 it's just life right now. It's just everything's kind of forcing me to go down this road. No, I, I usually don't have a drinking problem, but I've just been really stressed, and I'm not really an alcoholic. False righteousness. Here are all the good things I've done. Anybody ever seen the show? Don't judge me. Anybody ever seen the show good, The Good Place? Oh, you guys are so saved. To make a long story short, The Good Place, the whole idea is about the afterlife. And it's so funny when Hollywood tries to explain a, 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 biblical, a biblical concept. It's like, in order to get to The Good Place, I have to get enough points in order to get there. And unfortunately, it's not like we have a list, and some of us might, no judgment. But we kind of have like this internal point system that, well, hey, well, you know, I went to three different soup kitchens, and I went to two different things, and my, 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 my niece and nephew, my niece and, and her boyfriend that is living in sin, you know, I tolerate them. So that's, that adds up for my righteousness point. So that makes me righteous, right? And not at all. Not realizing that when we, when we operate in this pretending mindset that what we're doing is we're saying that 
man, this whole righteousness, this gap between how righteous I am and how good God really is, it doesn't really even matter. I can just do my best and that's good enough. It's okay to face the truth this morning. And the truth is hard to bear. It's crushing. When we come to the realization of our sin, it's hard. We don't want to admit how sinful we really are, so we spin the truth in our favor. It reminds me of Genesis chapter 3, right? Anybody know that story? In the beginning, if you don't read your Bibles enough, Genesis is at the very beginning. But in Genesis chapter 3, there's this thing that happened after our, our, our first earthly father and mother had messed up, messed it up for everybody. They ate the fruit and sin entered man. Sin entered the world. And it reminded me of this story while reading this book when it comes to pretending, right? Because in Genesis chapter 3, it says this. God is walking in the garden. This is after Adam and Eve had messed up. And they realized that they were naked. They realized something they've never realized before. So what do they do? They go and they, they sew fig leaves together. And they put these things together and they hide amongst the trees. When God had came into, when God had came into the garden, they heard him walking. They, 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 they feared and hid. And it says in Genesis chapter 3, it says, Then the Lord called to the man, Where are you? And it wasn't as if God didn't really know where they were. It was more so of like an internal check of where are you at right now? Not physically, not by proximity, but where's your heart right now? What has driven you to do this? So he replied, this is Adam replying, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Just like a parent. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked, have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I command you not to eat? When we're stuck in this cycle of pretending, we take bits and pieces of what we think is sufficient righteousness and allow that to be what guides us. Just like Adam and Eve took those different pieces and tried to blend in. It's like if I had a black t-shirt and it was like, you don't see me. I'm not here. I'm just going to blend in with the righteousness of everybody else and maybe nobody will find me. And, and the thing about it is, and something I realized too while, while I was studying, is the fact that when you're working in self-righteousness and you're around a bunch of other people that are working in self-righteousness, it's easy to blend in. Because you're not going to stick out like a sore thumb when you're acting like everybody else. And so... When we look at this and we look at what God did for them, right? He, he, he told them, like, this is what's going to happen because you let sin into your life. But there's this, there's this typology that we get to see in Genesis chapter 3. is that God made a covering for them. Y'all ain't listening, man. God made a covering for them. It said he took the skins and made them cloaks for them or made them like, like, like clothes for them. Almost as if he was giving us the, the, the blueprint to what was needed to, for a sacrifice in order to make them righteous again. That blood had to be spilt in order for them to be righteous again. That is painting this picture that, look, in order for you to be made right, there has to be a sacrifice. And if you know the Old Testament, there are a lot of different sacrifices in a lot of different ways. Not just any old sacrifice would do. There had to be a perfect, sufficient sacrifice. That perfect and sufficient sacrifice wasn't any more things that they could do. It wasn't any more uh, ideas that they come up with. That perfect sacrifice ended up being Jesus. 
is that if we're to be made righteous, we have to accept this gospel that Jesus brings to us. And it's not something that we earn. It's not something that we pretend that, that if I can set you guys free today, that in the kingdom of God, you don't have to fake it until you make it. That it says that whom the son has set free is free indeed. I've had too many friends that have told me that they don't know what freedom looks like. That they don't know what peace looks like. They don't know what joy looks like. It's found in Jesus. It's not found in self-righteousness. It's not found in pretending. There's so many ways that it shows itself when it comes to this pretending, you guys. Here are a couple things. I didn't write down everything. If you want to see everything that the author talks about in the book, go get the book. But here are a couple things that they use as uh, illustrations or examples, right? He called it mercy righteousness. Mercy Mercy righteousness is this. I care about the poor and disadvantaged the way everyone should. God loves, so I'm going to show my love like Jesus did by being care and caring about people that are less fortunate than me. I'm so righteous. <laughs> then we have legalistic righteousness, right? It's I don't drink, smoke, or chew, or date girls who do. <laughs> I didn't write that. <laughs> Too many Christians are concerned about holiness these days. I go to church every Sunday, every Tuesday. I'm in all 27 growth groups that we have going on right now. And, you know, I read my Bible, and I do my daily office, and I'm just so holy. Then we have political righteousness. If you really love God, you'll vote for my candidate. If you really love God, you'll look at my view on abortion. Well, that was too real. You can't even say, row, row, row your boat around here. People get tense. Not realizing it's not about choosing liberal or or conservative. It's about choosing the gospel. Oh, we forgot. It's convenient to do stuff that's easy, but when we lay our lives down for Christ, our life reflects that. That it's not in us just doing it. It's in us us being. When we become sons and daughters by laying our lives down for Christ. Not pretending to be sons and daughters that lay our lives down for Christ. Are you following me? There has to be an internal change before there's any external evidence. Stop pretending. You don't have to fake it. You're not too far away. I don't know your testimony. I don't know what you've done. But listening, there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. I want to ask you this question. I don't really have points, but I have questions. This book is is a really great tool to help you take self-inventory. I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. What do you count on to give you a sense of personal credibility? What do you count on to give yourself a sense of personal credibility? If it's anything but Jesus, you're going to need to go back to the drawing board. The next is performance. I don't know if anybody can experience this, but how many men are in here? How many men of God are in here? Wow. What was that? It was an err. Jesus. There we go. This is something, if I can be transparent, that even Pastor John deals with is the performance. Not that I'm being fake, but I just sort of feel like if I'm not working hard enough, I'm not pleasing God. And here's here's something that rocked my world, right? Here's another question. Write this down. It says, as God thinks of you right now, what is the look on his face? 
as God thinks of you right now, in this moment, what's the look on his face? I remember when we went through this as a, as a, as a church staff, and we're in there, I'm like, you know what I think God is looking at me like, to be honest? I know he loves me. I know he cares for me. I know his grace is sufficient enough for me. But I, kind of, I sort of feel like, Jesus, like God is looking at me like this, like, here he goes again. If it's anything other than satisfied because of what Christ has done for you, you have fallen into a performance mindset. If the look that you think of when you think about God's face is anything but satisfied because of what Jesus did for you, not the performance, not the pretending, but what Jesus did for you on the cross, you've fallen into a performance mindset. When I think about performances, I couldn't help but think about good old Mary and Martha. Turn with me to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Hurry up and get there. Hurry up, hurry up. Turn faster. Click faster. I'm reading the New King James. It says, now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. This is Jesus. And she said, and she had a sister named Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Pay close attention. But Martha was distracted. Somebody say distracted. With much serving. But JR, the dream team, they need me. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care what my sister has left me to, to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. At what point do you think that you can tell the savior of the world what to do? We're talking about self-inventory here. We're talking about a performance mindset. And Jesus answered to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. Your mind is clouded. You're distracted. You're focused on the wrong things. But one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. I love the way that Spurgeon says, he says, the way to the revival is to begin at the master's feet. You must go there with Mary and watch this. And afterwards, you, you may work with Martha. Both are needed, but there's an order of operations. Yes, you've been saved by grace through faith, not by works, unless anyone should boast. But the evidence of what God has done in your life is those good works. It talks about in James, he's like, oh, you got faith? I'm going to show you faith by my works. Because what God has done, done through me, but, but what he has saved me from, what he's forgiven me for, I can't help but operate in love. I can't help but operate in servitude, but in a way that is God-ordained. In this season of being an EH, EHS, the hardest thing isn't the reading, because I read a lot of books. That's not hard. The hardest thing is not even the workbook. It's these daily offices. Some of y'all are like, what's a daily office? Take it next session. You'll find out. But to have to sit still before the Lord. I'm speaking from a place of experience. To have to sit still in the presence of the Lord. To have to understand what the Sabbath is about. That we get so caught up in doing that we forget to be. We get so caught up in serving and, and thinking we know what's best for us and what, what God wants that we forget to ask him in the first place. God, what is it that you'll have me to do? 
Not just doing things in the name of God. So as I come to a close, it's important that we recognize it's not pretending that makes us righteousness. It's not faking it until we make it that makes us righteous. It's not our performance and how well we do and how many ministries that we serve in that makes us righteous. That the only thing that makes us righteous is the sacrifice that Jesus did on the cross. That I encourage you guys, when you, go, when you go home and you read your Bible, not only on Sundays or in your groups, when you read your Bible for your own personal time, I encourage you to go through the book of Colossians. Because the book of Colossians gives us a, 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 such a great blueprint on how to operate in a world where, where you have, um, where you have this, this legalism on one side and you have philosophy on the other side. Dude, the other day when the verdict came out, I didn't even want to be on social media. I care about life. I care about the life that God gives. But I couldn't help but think that what would a world look like that was centered in the gospel? Not on conservative views, not on liberal views, but centered in the gospel. Men that stepped up being men of God. Women that would step up and being righteous women, not because they do things right, not just because they come to church, but because they've been transformed by the healing, awesome power of Jesus Christ. There's no condemnation in Jesus Christ either. That if you've fallen short and making mistakes, but guess, guess what? We all have. Guess what? It's okay to be truthful with where you're at. Yes, you've sinned. Yes, you've fallen short. Yes, you cussed that guy out at work. Yes, you may have gotten an abortion. Yes, you may have slept with that person last night. Yes, you may have had these evil thoughts. But guess what? The word of God says that there's, there's, there's nowhere too far away for him to come and get you. That's the truth. And unfortunately, the world thinks that oh, I'm too far, so I might as well give up and do my own thing. That's not the gospel. The gospel says that in John 3, that whosoever believes... That word in the Greek doesn't, doesn't just mean believe like, oh, I think God is real and I, I touch my Bible before I leave every day. No. Believing in God, believing in the gospel is being convinced that this thing is true. It's being convinced that the fact that, you know what? I am a wretch. I, I, I'm evil in my ways. I have evil thoughts. But God's goodness, his righteousness, his faithfulness is enough for me and it's sufficient enough for me in the future. If we can all stand to our feet, this becomes the invitation. And we'll expound upon it more next week when it comes to what it means to believe in the gospel. So I encourage you guys, come back. Come hear the word again. Come fellowship again. Come be a part of the body again. If you're tuning in, tune in again. Get connected. This is the opportunity for you to lay down your righteousness and to put on the garment of righteousness that God provides for you. It's not my righteousness plus Jesus equals me being righteous or, or I was already righteous plus Jesus, now I'm super righteous. And it's not I serve so much that I got a first class ticket to heaven. There are no first class tickets to heaven. I hate to burst your bubble. You're not too far away. There's nothing that you can do to make you God love you any more or any less. So like the song we sung earlier today, everything's intentional. 
God, you keep on getting better. As I grow in deeper relationship with you, God, you are getting better. I start to realize how sinful I really am, how good you are. God, I'm so thankful for your righteousness and making a way for me to be made right in a relationship with you again. Not responding in a way that goes, well, I messed up. Man, I've been in church my whole life and I messed up again. Let me just, let me just fake it and act like I got it together and just get through. You might fool us, but you're not fooling God. Just like in the garden, God was walking and he was looking and he was, he's like, Adam, where are you? Not in location, not in proximity, but where your heart is. And that's the question I want to ask you guys this morning. Where are you? I want you to think about it really hard. Where are you at right now? Take some personal inventory. It's okay for you to come to the reality of your sinfulness because you know what the right response is? To respond to God's invitation to receive his grace. He's sufficient enough for you this morning. So here's an invitation that's going to be different. Yes, we're going to do uh, uh, the prayer, the sinner's prayer and everything. But I want to invite everybody that's been pretending, that's been performing to come down to the altar and lay it down. If we're going to be living sacrifices, we have to lay down our thoughts and what we think is best for us and accept what God has for us. So everyone that's been pretending that's been performing, that's been acting like everything is all right, that's been acting like, well, I know of God, but don't have a real intimate relationship with him. Today can be that day where you have that real and relevant relationship with him. There's no condemnation. There is no judgment. God is the judge, and guess what? He's given you a verdict of being, of being righteous in him. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. If this isn't your walk, that's fine. But please be interceding for the ones that are up here. Please be ready to embrace the ones that have been lost. Because we've all been. Pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you humbly. Ready to lay our lives down for you, God. Our thoughts, our own sense of righteousness, God. And ready to adapt what you have for us the sacrifice that you made for us, God, the perfect and sufficient sacrifice that you made for us, God. We're done pretending. We're done trying to perform and work our way into heaven, God. There is only one way, there's only one truth, and that is you. So God, I'm praying that we, we come to a knowledge of what your forgiveness is. That you love like only a heavenly father can love. That you forgive like only a heavenly father can forgive. And you make ways for us only like a, a heavenly father can make ways for us, God. So our hearts cry today. Our hearts cry this morning is nothing else will do. Not political righteousness, not, not candidates, not verdicts, not, 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 not philosophies, God. Not, not rigid legalism, God. But your righteousness will only do for us. So God, as we're here at this altar, as we're here in this place, as we're listening over the airwaves, God, I'm praying that our life becomes more gospel-centered and not self-centered. We trust you today. We trust that you can renew our minds. We trust that you can create in us clean hearts this morning. We trust that you can make us clean. Only your blood could do that, God. 
In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Can we give God a praise?